Welcome to the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. The Asian Sewist Collective is a group of Asian people from around the world brought together by our shared appreciation for fiber and textile arts and our desire to see more Asian representation in the sewing community. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of our identities and our shared sewing practice as we create a space for Asian sewists and our allies. I'm your co-host, Ada Chen, and I'm recording from Denver, Colorado. Denver is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. I'm a Taiwanese-American marketer turned entrepreneur, and these days you'll find me running my all-natural skincare business called Chuan's Promise. That's C-H-U-A-N apostrophe S, Promise, and sharing my marketing tips on my blog. Most importantly for this podcast, you can find my sewing at i.hope.sew on Instagram. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. I'm based outside of Chicago, the original homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Odawa people. I'm a Philippine-American woman, a lawyer by day, and a sewing enthusiast the rest of the time. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole Angeline Sews. Before we dive into this week's episode, Nicole, can you tell us about your current sewing project? I can. I am running down the clock on a pattern test. <laughs> <laughs> when are we not? Um, and I hate to say it, but I'm out of my this was a panic so label. <laughs> um, so I need to, I think I might need to buy another pack or two, which by the way, we are definitely still selling labels. So don't forget to go to coffee to pick them up. But yes, I am working on a, um, on a pattern test for forest and thread. Um, it is their MVP button down. Um, the button down is already out, but uh, forest and thread is expanding their size range. In, to include Ooh. a larger bust range, so I think a double D range, um, and also to expand their B cup range. So I am testing for fit the B cup uh, size 18. Okay. Um, this is just my quest Ooh. for how to use all my woven fabric that I think is really pretty, but just <laughs> like, how am I get, what am I going to do with all this? So it's a button down. It's a classic button down with some um, design features. I think the sleeves as is are going to be too long because they're just like huge cuffs and it's meant to look like that. But um, I'm realizing that as I am doing more woven shirts, particularly with collars, that I'm getting more confident in the construction. Like I'm understanding it better. Like nice. it's not as scary to do a collar stand and, you know, to do collars and buttonholes and stuff. So I'm enjoying the process and I'm using um, some Ruby Star Society quilting cotton, which is a nice quality quilting cotton that is often used for garments. I, I know like quilting cotton isn't always recommended for garments, but it's a nice, actually I think this one might be a sateen because it just feels so nice. Um, so yeah, it's a, it'll be a slightly not oversized, but a loose fitting button down shirt. And I'm hoping to use it for lots of different things at work because um, I'm in the office a lot more often now or I'm off at a clinic or something. And it's nice to to get dressed up. Otherwise, I am that sweatpants working at home kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> and are you panic sewing anything right now? Okay, I'm just going to disclaim that when you listen to the rest of this episode, you will be like, wow, how did she know they talked about panic sewing so much? Because we do. Oh, But I'm getting ahead of myself. I did panic sew, actually, while you're trying to get down on your woven stash. I panic sewed some loose kind of boxy tees hmm. for my trade show outfits before I left. And I'm, I've really been liking them. Like one is a linen gauze, a single gauze but it's like a sturdier gauze. Mm -hmm. And one was actually a checkerboard kind of translucent black linen from Blackbird Fabrics that I got a while ago, like two or three years ago. Had just been sitting on it and said, I'm just going to cut the fabric. As Lisa from Black Women's Stitch says, cut the fabric. So I did. I cut the fabric yes. and have been loving those too. So I am well on my way to making more of those and I don't know I've been in like a t-shirt mood so I cut out a bunch of J. Lee 2805 t-shirts which are the adjustable collars mm. and those were in knits so we're just trying to round out the t-shirt vibe here not make any collars <laughs> is it is it as hot there as it has been here it is quite hot it is weird because the first year I moved here it did snow over Labor Day week and <sighs> now it is like 100 degrees yeah. so 
I don't know what to tell you, but I'm trying to make layering pieces, basically. <laughs> I cannot get into knit, like heavy knits or, you know, even even autumn colors, which I love. Autumn is my season, but like the plaids and the heavyweights and like, I just can't. I'm so hot. It is so hot in Chicago. <laughs> well, which I'm, what pattern did you use for the boxy tee, the, the woven boxy tee? Oh, that's a good question. I think I based it off of the artist box top originally, mm. which is fairly size inclusive, if I remember correctly. And Taryn, the designer behind it, has that and the wrap skirt that I pattern tested quite a few years ago. Both great patterns. The box top is also, I think I don't know if it's supposed to be box top and a box top dress or just a box top and then you add a skirt panel. But I just remember finding the pieces and being like, this will do. I'm just going to whip it out. And I don't think I followed the instructions because it was just a front piece and a back piece. And I just bias bound all the way around. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's the nice thing about box tops. I have I have a go-to as well. Um, I have two go-tos for box tops. And it's just like, I don't really need that. <laughs> I don't really need instructions. And if I mess up, whatever, it's fine. It's boxy. Um, but yeah. Okay. That's cool. Well, I am really sorry I couldn't make it to uh, the interview that y'all are about to hear. So shout out to Ada for, for, uh, care, for, you know, talking with Manny with, uh, without me, I did, I did really miss it. And I look forward to hearing the conversation because I haven't heard it yet. Today, we welcome Manny Wu. Manny is a sewist in London who's passionate about fiber arts and was a finalist on season eight of the Great British Sewing Bee. Hey, podcast listeners, looking for a way to support the Asian Solace Collective? Well, we have a great way for you to do that now, and we are excited to announce our first set of merch. We've launched a limited edition set of woven labels on our coffee page, so ko-fi.com slash Asian Solace Collective, and you can get a pack of five woven labels custom designed by our very own producer, Mariko, with some cute sayings from seasons one through three, like this was a panic sew, forgot to pre-wash, or made with fabric purchased while traveling. And they all have really cute designs on them that you should definitely go check out on our Instagram and on our coffee page. And to get your very own set of five labels, you will be supporting the podcast and helping us bring you new content and new guests week after week. So head to ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective. Welcome, Annie, to our podcast today. Hi, Ada. Thank you so much for having me on here today. For our listeners who might not know you from the Sewing Bee or from Instagram, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got started sewing? Yeah, of course. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Manny, and I was a finalist on the Great British Sewing Bee Series 8. So I was born in Hong Kong and then I moved to the UK when I was nine. And I spent the rest of my life um, in the UK. So I did secondary school education here, I went to uni here, and now I've got um, my job here in the UK as well. So I started sewing when I was um, about 11 or 12 years old, and it all started in the most unconventional way, which was my friends <laughs> and I wanted to dress up as anime characters and go to comic cons, um, and it's such a strange thing. Like it's, it's not very common for people to start sewing in this way um but <laughs> I think it is actually I mean 11 or 12 seems kind of young for it but yeah 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 so like we really wanted to you know go to comic-con because we started watching anime and actually funnily enough it was my friends who are it was my white friends who got me into anime and like the whole Japanese culture okay. um and at that time because we were so young that we had we didn't have any disposable money to you know buy costumes or anything like that so I asked my aunt to teach me how to sew and she taught me on so she taught me um, the different ways of sewing she taught me hand sewing she taught me machine sewing and I was able to make my costume for the comic con that sounds great I wish I had somebody to personally teach me how to do all that sewing do you still sew cosplay and costumes and are you still going to conventions and comic-con in that sphere do you mind sharing a little bit more about that first costume and maybe what character you were gosh that was so so long ago um but my first costume was a character called Haruhi Suzumiya 
Um, and the okay. anime that is from and the manga that is from is called The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Um, it's, a, it's a sci-fi manga, which was then adopted into an anime. Um, like I said previously, my, my, so my friends started watching it and then they recommend it to me, and then I started watching it as well, and got really, really hooked onto it. Um, <laughs> I think that's always the case when you're like when you're a kid, you just kind of see what your other friends are into, and you know, a lot of music and like TV shows is always like friends influences. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we we start we started watching it together, and then we were learning the dance to it as well because there's a there's an end theme song called Hale Hale Yukai um so we I don't know what got into us but we ended up learning it and performing it at our secondary school talent show which was oh my god yeah I, I don't know where we got that bravery from like nowadays there's no way I do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah but when you're a kid you're kind of like I have no fear oh, no yeah. shame yeah yeah because we didn't only just perform it in school we also decided that when we go to Comic-Con, we're also going to perform it on stage in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, I, I still don't know how how we did it. <laughs> That's really impressive. Like, that takes some real guts to just <laughs> go for it. I mean, I'll give you the credit of, like, when you're a kid, you're like, what is, whatever, I'm just going to do the thing. But like to do it in front of a couple hundred people is still, that's like pretty brave for all of me to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm I, I'm going to regret saying this, but I think there's a YouTube video somewhere that my friend's uploaded and I don't think she's ever taken it off. So I'm going to have to hunt it down and then try and get, get it deleted at some point. <laughs> <laughs> You've got time before this episode comes out. Yep. It may not be on YouTube by the time you hear this, listeners. I mean, I will admit that in when I was in high school, my friends and I were all very much into K-pop before it was cool. Mm. I'm going to rewind. Like, before it was cool, like, we were the weirdos. <laughs> and we were like, we really wanted to learn all the dances. So our dance club basically became learning all the K-pop dances. And there are videos of us in, like, the matching little outfits and costumes. I have definitely made sure that they are private and taken out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so cute because I did the same as well. Like you know, after I after I shifted from J-pop into K-pop, my friends into were like, K-pop, yeah. "Yeah, like we also learned the dances and like we got so obsessed with it that like that's all we talked about every single day at school." That was literally the foundation going into college of one of my very core friendships. Like we're still very good friends now. We don't talk about K-pop at all, <laughs> but we were both taking intro to Korean, like Korean 101. Mm. So we had class four days a week and then we would nerd out like about what music video came out or whatever like new YouTube video was out. And it was a very formative time. And then somewhere along the way, we were just like, we kind of just all like left it. And now it's like the biggest thing. And I was like, I... I was into this before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I totally get you. <laughs> I was like, I feel I feel old now, but that's fine. <laughs> um, anyways, back to sewing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, moving away from cosplay and your first kind of makes, the first indie pattern that we saw on your Instagram scrolling all the way back is the very well-known Ogden Kami by True Bias, mm-hmm. which you seem to be enjoying. Um, I think some of the other pattern designers that we've seen are Tilly and the Buttons, Friday Pattern Company, some more True Bias, and then Paper Theory. So from what it seems like, and let me know if we're reading this wrong, you seem to be sewing more indie than like Big Four, Big Five. Do you have any favorite like tried and true patterns, TNTs? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I see you've done your research um, on my on my Instagram <laughs> page to see what what was the first pattern that I've made, the indie pattern, because even I didn't realize that myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I'm just generally more drawn to indie patterns because they're a lot more popular amongst sewers online. So it's a lot easier for me to look for the hashtags and look for reviews of patterns, which I think is really important before you start sewing a pattern because you want to know any tweaks that you need to make yourself, any adjustments that you need to make. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I'm a bit more drawn to them. And secretly, 
And secretly, one of the other reasons why I love sewing indie patterns is because I am a very, very lazy person. And so <laughs> I, don't, I, I feel like you know where I'm getting at. Um, I just hate tracing out paper patterns because like when I when I buy paper patterns I feel like I can't just cut straight into them because what if I want to make it in a different size in the future so I always but you don't but what, what <laughs> if I do? do but what if I do I know you're right I've, I've never done it before like I've not <laughs> made a paper pattern in a different size yet um, and I don't think I will be doing that anytime in the future either but yeah like I just feel like I have to trace everything out um, and I just I don't have the time for that I just want to get straight into you know print it out and you know what even the printing process I go for a zero printing I don't do the a4 printing Ooh. anymore because I'm that lazy <laughs> I, I don't know if I would call it lazy I'd call it efficient <laughs> perhaps yeah like I, I guess that's a very nice way of putting it and I want to maximize my sewing time instead of prepping time you know because sewing time is yeah. so precious it is. It's true because you also have a day job. So it's like juggling all of it. I, I think I had the same kind of hesitation when I bought my first few paper patterns because I also started with Indie Online and I was like, I'm just going to print 58 pages for a jumpsuit and it'll be fine. <laughs> and then you're like, what if I didn't though? What if I could just have it cut out? And then you're like, oh, now I got to trace it. And I realized I traced probably like four or five. Yeah. And then I realized I was like, there's no. Like, if I'm ever going to make this again, I'm probably going to be making it, like, one size up and I could figure that out. <laughs> or I'm just going to buy another one. Because at least I will say, like, that decision is definitely influenced by the fact that I can get them for $2 here. And so mm. it's very accessible. Yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. I feel like it's completely different in the UK. I don't think you can get it for just $2 or £2 here in the UK. Um, it's, a, it's a bit more expensive in terms of uh, yeah. patterns. There's not usually much of a sale on paper patterns so yeah yeah but yeah I do so I do have a an indie TNT pattern um and it is the saltwater slip dress by Friday Pattern Company I like okay (laughs) what make okay because I guessed because I own the Ogden cami pattern. Mm-hmm. I've made the Ogden cami. I didn't buy the saltwater slip because when it came out, I was like, well, couldn't I just hack it by lengthening an Ogden cami? And Nicole agreed. And so I didn't buy the dress. And then I was like, oh, but it looks so cute. And I also have the Sewing by Masson um, Sicily slip dress, mm. which besides the cowl is like very similar on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So tell tell me why the Friday Pattern Company saltwater slip is your TNT. <laughs> I like talk me into buying it. <laughs> okay, so it has a lovely, lovely silhouette because the way that you construct it is different to the way you construct Ogden Cami. Because you know, the, for the Ogden Cami, you have your facing as well as your mm-hmm. main pieces, and then your strap is separate to that. Um, yep. But for the saltwater slip dress, the strap is part of the bias binding. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's no facing in that. So it's very, very simple and straightforward to make. Um, you don't have to do any, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you don't have to do any of the understitching like you do with Ogden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just need to you just need to bind it all the way around. It's a very, very easy and straightforward make. Okay, sold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should definitely try it. I would love to see that. And it's just so versatile as well. And um, Romana from the Little Pomegranate, mm-hmm. um, so I wore that when I went to an event where she was at as well. And when she saw that dress, she was like, she needs to make it because she she likes the way it looks. So yeah, if I can convince her, I'm sure I can convince you as well. Oh, yeah. You had me at bias binding and not having to do the lining with the understitching. <laughs> For the one that you wore when you saw her, or maybe some of the other ones that you've made, mm-hmm. what do you use as your like fabric choice? Like, what would you recommend? Um, I would definitely say something very flowy, like Fisco, okay. because I okay. like wearing it um, as a layering piece at times. So sometimes, you know, so I feel like the saltwater slip dress you can wear it in the summer and in the winter because for the summer you can just wear it by itself when it's really hot outside yeah. it's very flowy and you know it's very it's very drapey on you um it's, it's a yeah. very drapey piece so it's really nice to wear 
um and then in the winter you can wear it on top of like a um a long sleeve turtleneck or something and layer it up so you want to go for something maybe viscose like something that is quite slippery um so that it doesn't drag on your clothes when you layer it up and it also has this really luxurious feel to it when you wear it okay sold after (laughs) this i'm just gonna go by i don't you might have me on the whole printing on the a0 i do have a projector now so we might just skip the whole printing step if you're if you're really looking to get very lazy you never have to cut a pattern again (laughs) i will have to look into that after this That's a whole nother episode that we did. And then at the end, I ended up buying a projector. (laughs) A a word to the wise. Maybe, you know, don't listen to that one if you're not ready to buy a projector. (laughs) Um, But on the sewing bee, you were on series eight. Mm -hmm. Now, you just said that you're a lazy sewer. But you always made these like really ambitious projects, like so much so that Patrick Grant commented on it. And I know you were saying that, you know, they do a fantastic job of, like, editing everything, even when you're looking at the camera. I guess my question is, like, where did the ambitious part that you were doing on the sewing bee come from? If in your, like, normal sewing at home, you're kind of like, whatever is the fastest and the easiest way. (laughs) So I feel like... I don't know being being overly ambitious is definitely one of my toxic traits I would have to admit that (laughs) um but I think in general I just really like my I like my projects to be really exciting and thrilling um and I need it to be challenging because I have a very short attention span as well so I need it to be something that I can throw myself into otherwise I lose my attention really easily so that's why I go for really ambitious projects because then I have to really use my brain to think about how I need to put the pieces together, how it's all going to work together. Um, and I think like over the last few years, I challenged myself by drafting some um, evening gowns for various different balls. Um, and recently as well, I was being overly ambitious. Um, I mean, being ambitious is great, but being overly ambitious also has a lot of downfalls. Um, so recently I was invited to a wedding and for some reason okay. I thought I could just make my wedding guest dress in the uh, I thought I could just make my wedding guest dress the evening before the wedding. And you can see where this is going. Like I was so I mean I've wrong. been there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. But I don't know where like why I thought I could do that. You know, I was working with a really slippery fabric. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought that. <laughs> I need that label. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I'll carry on. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I thought that was achievable because I was working with a really slippery fabric and I was also using a pattern that I had drafted and I hadn't toilet at all. It was the Lucy dress um, from By Hand London where you have to make your own pattern. You know, it's not one that you can just cut out and yeah, it's not one that you can just cut out from the pattern pieces. It's one where you have to draft it yourself using your own measurements. Um, So yeah, I ended up staying up until 3am in the morning sewing it. I know, I know. And I was absolutely knackered the following day. Um, But I think it was all worth it, though. It was definitely all worth it. Is this, this is the Lucy dress that was like most recently in your feet? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but I wouldn't have guessed that you started it the day before (laughs) looking at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, I kind of just lost track of time. I just feel like, oh, it's a really simple dress. You know, it it looks simple enough that I can just whack it together in a few hours. But I feel like everything just always takes longer than you need it to be. (laughs) But yeah, everything just takes so much longer than you expect it to, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been there. I think probably the worst one was about 45 minutes before I had to leave the house. I decided for the airport, by the way. I decided that I was like, I need one more tank top. Like I didn't there. I have no clean tank tops, but everything's packed away. I'm going to need one more tank top. It's kind of going to be a sweaty and gross trip. And I didn't, I don't think I finished the hem, but I got everything else because I had to get to the airport. (laughs) I was like, 
yeah, I could do it. 45 minutes is fine. You know, it's just like a front piece and a back piece and facings on front and back. And, you know, don't, don't, don't do that. Listener, beware. Don't panic sew your garments right before (laughs) a big event. Um, But I'm curious since, you know, I'm assuming the pressure of sewing for a wedding the next day is different from the pressure of being on the sewing bee so was there anything that you learned during that process of being on the sewing bee that you maybe still use in your daily or regular sewing practice (laughs) yeah so I learned quite a lot of that I learned quite a lot from everyone on the sewing bee so I learned a lot from the judges and also a lot from the contestants as well so from Esme I learned that um, you always want to interface your fabric if you're sewing a zipper into it especially if the fabric is slippery because you want to make sure when you're sewing in the zipper into the fabric you want to make sure everything is stable you don't want there to be any twists or any wonkiness so if you have a stable fabric then if you have a stable fabric after you've interfaced it then everything will just go on smoothly so yeah that was a that's actually genius yeah yeah it's not actually you know what she was giving that tip to someone else on the show and I was I just happened to be next to them and I was like I am taking that tip I am stealing that tip and using that on my own garments going forward (laughs) I kind of love it I mean why not yeah she's kind of there to teach everyone (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and um from my friend Christian as well um he did something quite smart that not many of us were doing when we got the pattern pieces in our first challenge uh, which is to make sure you iron the paper pattern pieces before you start cutting the fabrics out that's not something that I thought about previously but you know I saw him doing it and I was like that is such a good shout you know you want everything to lay flat before you cut things out otherwise you know the sizes might be different and you might miss out some pieces Um, because there is one time I think it was the very first challenge on sewing bee I decided to just take the pattern pieces out from the envelope laid it on the fabric and start cutting it out and then I realized after I cut out the front piece of the skirt that I hadn't even unfolded the whole paper pattern piece (gasps) I know I know that wasted a bit of my time so I had to like you know recut the pieces out from the fabric yeah so always always try and iron and make sure the whole paper pattern piece is flat before you cut things out I've seen that from Lisa, who's at Black Women Stitch, Stitch Please podcast. She does it with her tissue patterns, like the ones that you buy at Joann's. And I was always like afraid to do it. And then I realized that they're on the lowest, lowest setting, where even if you turn the iron off and it's just like cooling down Mm. and you just kind of run it over, it just makes such a big difference Mm. compared to what I was doing before, which I don't know if this is what you you were doing, but basically I would unroll them or unfold them and then just like smash down as many weights as I could to kind of get it as flat as possible yeah (laughs) yeah it definitely does make a difference so I want to talk about one project that you made Mm -hmm. on the show one garment which was a sport jacket um would you mind telling us a little bit about that jacket and who you chose to honor with it Yeah, so for the sports jacket challenge, we were asked to choose um, an athlete that we like. um, And I decided to choose Kim Jae-in, who is a Korean boulder climber. Um, And over the last few years, I got really into bouldering. And I started oh. watching a lot of bouldering competitions, you know, clips on YouTube. And Kim Jae-in was one of the athletes that I really admire. So I watched a lot of her clips, you know, the way that she climbs. It's just so fluid. It's like she's, it's like she's, she's lightweight as a feather. Um, so I just really enjoy watching her. I feel like in general, the East Asian bodies, like our, in general, our East Asian bodies are built differently compared to like you know bodies of western women because the average height is shorter for us (laughs) so you know sometimes it's just a bit harder for sometimes it's just a bit harder for us to like reach some of the holes when there are a further distance away um but when i when i watch kim jain um climb you know she's I think they're like a lot of Asian climbers, they're of a similar height to me. So I feel like I can relate to them a bit more 
which is why I tend to watch them climb. I want to like learn from them as well to see how they move the body, how they position it so then they can reach as far as possible. Whereas, you know, a lot of the, a lot of Western climbers, they are much taller than us, so they can easily touch the holds. Um, and yeah, I feel like perhaps it's because they're Asian as well. I just feel like I can relate to them a little bit more in that sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's one of the one of the reasons why I chose why I chose Kim Jae In. I love it. I mean, I so I don't climb. I'm actually really terrible at hand eye coordination, <laughs> despite sewing. Like, <laughs> I was gonna say, really, it's really crazy like, how <laughs> I cannot throw things. I cannot reach things, but I can swing a golf club, which I'm very grateful for. And I know it's it's been historically an exclusionary sport, but since I came back to it um, after I inherited my dad's clubs. Mm. You know, he taught me when I was little and we had I had three clubs, literally. Like so I was just hitting the ball. It was something to take us out to. And then I rediscovered it when I got his clubs. And then I discovered that in the top ten of the world rankings of the LPGA, which is like the women's professional tour, um, I think about eight or nine of them are actually Asian women, either of Asian descent and they live in the US or Australia or I think there might be one from the UK, or like from um, Korea is a big country, Thailand is really big right now, and they actually all have these like development programs for women. Mm -hmm. And it's really encouraging, I think, because Mm -hmm. despite if I go play here, you know, I'm not, I am probably like the only one or one of very few. Yeah. But if I look at the world rankings or if I watch TV and I watch the real matches, it's kind of the same. Like you said, their body looks like my body. And then the other person who's in the top 10, her name is Nellie Corda and she's like six foot two skinny and she has completely different size <laughs> for me. So you're like, I can't even like your club is like as tall as I am. <laughs> so I kind of I get that. I, I totally relate to when you see someone with a similar body type, especially if they look like you, it's not necessarily like because they look like you that you want to honor them, mm-hmm. but you're like seeing that example, I think at least. And to your credit, you were also an example being on the sewing bee and so was Rumana. And I think Rumana has been pretty vocal about her experience being on TV mm-hmm. and being kind of in the public spotlight. Is there anything you want to share about your experience so far? Kind of being a sewing celebrity (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh that does not sound right to hear (laughs) (laughs) um so I felt like I had a very nice time um being on the sewing bee and the experience that came after I you know everyone everyone online were really nice to me I didn't get any hate messages or anything like that you know I was preparing myself for it I was like people are gonna sent me racist messages or something like that but you know no one really like I mean people might comment about me but it's not about the way I look but it's more on my sewing itself which I really appreciate even if it's like comments on oh that doesn't look quite right or that doesn't meet the brief or something like that but I appreciate that that they're not looking at my race and like not not being how do you call it not um not judging me based on my race which I really appreciate um so yeah like I I feel like I had yeah, I, I, I like my experience um being on tv or maybe that's just because I'm a bit gullible as well so <laughs> I know it sounds really silly but like I'm very naive and I like to believe the best in people so even if someone's saying really sarcastic to me like I, I might not even register it I might just take it as a compliment um and like I suppose growing up as well like I've had instances where I have been called names by other people but I feel like because I'm such I'm so laid back at times or maybe that's probably not how I should be but because I am quite laid back that I kind of just brush it over I kind of I'm always like it's not me it's them like they're the they're the ones who's being a bully they're the ones who's calling me chink like it's it's things that doesn't like I'm not at fault here so I shouldn't feel bad about it so I've never really felt bad about I guess yeah I've never really felt like ashamed or anything or like any worry about being Asian or being on TV like that um and 
in a way like a funny funny story I guess funny now but it wasn't really funny when I was younger but when I first moved to the UK I was in a class with 30 I think about yeah I was in the class with like 20 other kids and I got bullied um I got picked on I don't know whether it's to the extent of bullying but like I got picked on um in class but I didn't get picked on by my white classmate I got picked on by my classmate who's Chinese so Mm. it's very I don't know I always think back to that and I'm like why did that happen like surely like I should feel you know like you would expect my white classmates to be the ones who's like not used to my skin color not used to my race but it happened to be my Chinese classmate who would pick on me who would like you know kick puddles at me when it's raining and not even in like a friendly way like it's not like haha we're friends so we're like messing about like we never had that friendly encounter um I don't know whether it might be because they feel threatened that there's another Chinese person in the class or something like that but I feel like because of that I've never really felt that close I've never really felt like I'm so in touch with my Chinese tradition and my Chinese culture um in a way I've always like I think growing up as well I've always thought oh like if I was white then everything would be a lot easier I know it's terrible to say but I feel like you know if I if I look just like other other people then I don't have to worry about what other people would think of me um yeah so I've never really given yeah I've never really like I guess I guess sorry what I'm trying to say is growing up I've never really tried to get close to discover my Chinese heritage at all yeah I mean I think every experience is valid and I I like the way that you approach it where it's if somebody says something hurtful to you it's it's not a reflection on you it's a reflection on them of what they're going through or like maybe they're struggling with something and they're just taking it out on you which they shouldn't but we all know it kind of just happens and I think a lot of people have had that thought before of like well what if I was like the blank right like Mm -hmm. could I pass this way or that way and would that make my life uh, a bit easier Mm. and so I think it's it's a universal experience which is kind of unfortunate and hopefully it changes in the future but thank you for sharing so while we're on the touching and feely stuff um like I think I mentioned before we started recording I lost my dad Nicole has also talked about loss before on the podcast she lost someone very close to her and so we know that you're also involved with this organization called Let's Talk About Loss in the UK Um, I'm involved in a similar organization here in the states called the Dinner Party so if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about Let's Talk About Loss and um, if you're still involved with their work? Yeah, of course. So Let's Talk About Loss is a charity that supports young people aged from 18 to 35 who are bereaved. So they create a really safe space to talk about loss in a fun um, but relaxed environment. I know it's very contradicting to say, you know, you're talking about grief and everything in a fun way they really want to make sure that it's not so much of a taboo subject so they want to make sure people do talk about it openly because you know everyone goes through this thing like you, you're you going to be in this club sooner or later and I know it's a terrible club to be in but it's just so important that you need to have the support around you you need to find people who you can talk to about this and you may not necessarily have friends who have gone through the same thing yet um but so 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 you might not be able to talk to your friends about it um they might not necessarily understand the grief that you're going through so at let's talk about loss they do different events each month um at different locations or across uk as well so you can go join them sometimes they might just go to the pub and just have a chat you know over a drink or over food um but sometimes they might go to the cinema or they do bowling so there's a lot of activities that they do in different regions of the country that you can get involved in like all you have to do is sign up and turn up 
and yeah you can just meet other people talk about different things you don't even necessarily need to talk about the person you've lost you can just talk about anything like you know it's it's a it's a it's just a it's a new friendship group you know you can make new friends through it and it's great I do plan to stay involved with it by going to the sessions they have in London and meet other people through that as well. Um, but yeah, if you if you're interested in that, if you're interested in talking about loss with other people who's gone through similar things, then absolutely look up. Let's talk about loss. Love it. And I would echo the same. If you're in the US, we have the dinner party. It's also meant for they call it young grievers, so it's generally like 20 to early 40s, and it's mostly local-based, so kind of similar, and we do meet up, so I'm very lucky that, you know, kind of in the depths of it, <laughs> um, humor is a great coping mechanism. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But like in the depths of it, I there was another person who's coincidentally from the same area as me, um, like in New Jersey, she'd grown up probably like within half an hour of me and had also lost her dad but then had also moved out here and so she had started mm. hosting the table which is kind of how they refer to it here and so now we have a nice little group of about like six or seven people we've had a few people move away um but then they hopefully find people in their new area and yeah it's really nice I think to have those people and even if you're not like you don't have to talk about <laughs> the loss the whole time it does get to be a little bit of a bummer if that's all that it's about like you do end up being I would say I don't know if you agree with this but like a different type of friend because not all of your yeah regular friends would like get it yet and yeah you know one day they might unfortunately mm-hmm. join the club and when mm-hmm. I've had a few friends join the club during the time I'm like I'm so sorry you are joining this terrible club uh mm-hmm. here are all these resources tell me what you need and yeah, yeah highly recommend doing that I love that you're involved so check out the events in London and throughout the UK everyone if you're in the UK we'll have links in the show notes a little bit to end on a higher note let's let's talk about sewing again so (laughs) I think your oldest make that we dug up is a 10 year old red crop top that you still wear and so Mm -hmm. I think you talked about how you feel more confident wearing what you want now regardless of you know people's gaze do you think that part of that is your sewing and your confidence in your sewing or is it just getting more immature, other things happening in life? Like, where does that come from? I think is probably a bit of both. Like, I feel like I am now at the point where I've learned not to care about what people think and specifically Asian aunties. <laughs> um, I think I'm slowing. I think I started... I think I started slowly getting to this stage since I became independent. Um, I suppose by in terms of independent, I mean like since I've moved out of home and moved to uni because I went to uni in a different city. So I was able to, you know, have a new, I don't know, I guess I was able to create a new Man Yi, like, you know, a Man Yi that nobody knows previously. So I'm able to be more confident create what I want to wear you know wear albeit revealing clothing you know things that Asian aunties and Asian parents would not approve of basically (laughs) um I was looking through my pictures the other day and I dug up this photo where I made this dress that I wore to um to an end of season dinner ball where I had an extremely low v-neck um front on my on my bodice and it's so low to the point where it's like literally getting to my belly button (laughs) there's no way I would have worn that if I was still living at home I feel like you know growing up um a lot of I think a lot of Asian people maybe a lot of Asian girls feel this way feel this way as well where growing up their life is being judged and is being controlled by Asian family you know it's not just not just in terms of what you wear, but also how you look. Like, you know, if you're a bit chubby, they'll be like, oh, you've gotten fat. But yeah. then they'll turn around and be like, oh, you should eat more. You need to eat more food. And it's just so contradicting. And I just hated being judged like that. So when I went to uni, it was a very, very freeing experience. I felt like I was able to do what I want. 
And I think that's where I started gaining more confidence in the way I dress. Because, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like, my family, they can't kick me out. or They can't threaten to kick me out anymore. <laughs> they can't threaten to be, like, cutting me off anymore because I'm at uni and I can just be my own self. Yeah. And so I was able to, you know, create, like, do a lot more sewing that fits my own style, um, crop tops, short skirts, that sort of thing. Like, whatever was in fashion back in 2016, around then. <laughs> yeah. I feel like most a lot of people are like that though they're like as soon as I'm free if they move out for university or college they're like I am free you can't see me all the time like you know you might have find my on which is I think that's a new thing because I didn't that did not exist when I was in college like nobody I would be halfway across the country and they would not be able to know where I was <laughs> but like it, it was very much the same and I think that happens for a lot of people like once you've left the nest and you've moved all your stuff out you're like and you you cannot dictate what I'm wearing anymore and you have no say and you might make these comments about how fat you think I am how dark you think I am all these different things that we know are rooted you know Mm. in their own uh beliefs and and Mm. issues with society that's where I'm gonna leave it for today um (laughs) but I think as long as we're aware of of what we're doing and how you know it's not really what whatever they're saying to us that's Mm. that's the best that we can do um so besides sewing you also have knitting which I think I saw the bubble cardigan and then I also saw the recent crocheting are there Mm. any other fiber arts that you're interested in oh there are so so many fiber arts that I'm interested in um I did textiles in school um, and also in college as well. So it's the UK version of college. So it's yep. like six forms or something like that. Um, but yeah, I did a bit of silk painting um, when I was there. And I really want to, you know, try that out again. Um, I also really want to pick up punch needling. Um, and also weaving as well. Because, you know, it just sounds so fun. You get to feel all the fibre. You, you get to feel all the fibre material with your hands. And that is something that I just love. Um, I don't know I might um, maybe I should do a do a series on learning new skills just like I did the crochet series <laughs> I would totally be here for that you are also very busy because I think you said you said stu- you finished studying you got your house you also work full-time and you've got all of these other fiber arts going on so how do you still make time to sew <laughs> Oh, I don't. I don't. It's so <laughs> hard to make time. I like to say that, oh, yeah, I spend every weekend nine to five sewing, you know, like every Saturday I wake up in the morning and I do a bit of sewing. I spend the whole day sewing. I wish I could say that, but I just don't have the time. Like I am still. So even though I do full time work, I am also doing exams as well. Um, I'm working towards my actual qualification. Hopefully, I'm towards the end now. Like, hopefully, I should qualify within the next year, but you never know. Um, but yeah, like, it's so hard to make the time to sew. And I have a massive list of things that I need to sew, you know, not just for myself, but for other people as well. Um, I actually bought my boyfriend some fabric to make a shirt for him. And he came with me to pick out the fabric three years ago. <laughs> three years ago yeah yeah (laughs) and um it's still it's still work in progress I've not even cut out the fabric yet actually so he doesn't have to know no no it'll be a surprise you know one day when he when he gets it for I don't know his birthday or Christmas maybe five years down the line he'll be surprised by it so it'll be a nice gift then um but I just find it so hard to make time because there's just so many things going on and I feel like sewing can be such an isolated hobby when you're sewing at home you just be at your desk and I feel like you know what sometimes when I do sewing like I just end up locking myself in the room and not really talking to my boyfriend or doing anything else for the day because I'm I'm just so engrossed in it and I'm just stuck in this room it's not something that you know yeah it's not something we can easily take to do on the couch or anything um, which yeah so it's, it's I, just, I just find it difficult to um to find time for it so I think at the moment from what I guess from the from my track record for the past year 
I feel like I'm only doing sewing when it's very last minute for like <laughs> holiday or for weddings and things like that. So yeah, it's it's hard to find the time. I think the vast majority of people would also agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it has been lovely chatting with you, Manny. Is there anything else going on for you or anything you'd like to promote? Where can people find you? And to be truthfully honest, I've thought about this for quite a lot, especially since Sewing Bee has finished. Um, I feel like I needed to use the momentum to create something, to create my own business or create or get my name out there. But I think it's just really hard. You know, there's three out. So there were four finalists in the in my series of Sewing Bee and three out of four of us have quit the job, started their own business and they're all doing really well. Um, but for me, I feel like I just need to take it slow. I am still very much enjoying my job. Um, so I just want to finish my qualification first before I focus on other things. Perhaps I'll go into part time in the future or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I think that's my main focus for now. But I guess in the future, you know, anything could happen. Um, I might, it's a very much might, but I might restart my YouTube channel. Um, when I was younger, I used to have a YouTube channel and I used to teach people how to sew clothes, how to alter clothes, you know, not professionally. There's like, it's, I was a teenager when I created those videos. So it's very, very unprofessional. <laughs> it's not the right way of, you know, altering <laughs> clothes. But now that I've learned a bit more, um, now that I've gained a bit more experience, I feel like it would be a really fun thing to do. So, yeah, that's something that I'll probably look into in the near future. And listeners can stay up to date with what Manye is doing at manye.woo, M-A-N-Y-E-E dot W-O-O on Instagram. Thanks for being on with us today, Manye. Really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. If you like our show, please consider supporting us on Coffee by becoming a one-time or monthly supporter or by buying our stickers and sewing labels. That's right, we have merch. Buy the labels, they are hilarious. Your financial support helps us with overhead expenses and will allow us to give back to our all-volunteer team who works so hard to provide you with new content each week. The link to our Coffee page is ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective, and you can find the link in our show notes, on our website, and on our Instagram account. Check us out on Instagram at Asian Sewist Collective, that's one word, Asian Sewist Collective, and you can also help us out by spreading the word and telling your friends. We would appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of the links and resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes on our website. That's asiansewistcollective.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your questions, comments, or even voice messages if you want to be featured on future episodes at asiansewistcollective at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by your co-hosts, Ada Chen and Nicole Angeline. Thank you so much to the other members of our collective who made this week's episode a reality. This is the Asian Sewist Collective podcast, and we'll see you next week.